Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what was supposed to be a very happy edition of the Talking About podcast, but instead is has taken a more somber tone with the Sixers dropping two straight games to the Indiana Pacers and then the Miami Heat, neither of which were encouraging fashion. The Pacers game was they just kind of let it slip away towards the end, but they were missing MB. You know, it was just it, it didn't feel like they just kind of ran out of gas. But then against Miami last night, just got absolutely smoked really bad Sean how are you doing well Daniel as you said (laughs) off air before we started recording I I guess I will say as well as can be after last night's game uh, that was the the chance to be a kind of coronation of the regular season Uh, they would have clinched the first overall seed in the east with the win it was their first game in a while against a legitimate strong opponent that had all their guys basically so just coming in and beating the heat to win the one seed that it would have been a really nice cherry on top of what's been a good season uh, so far and for not only just to lose but just not even be in the game at any point and just look completely outclassed uh, it was just about the worst thing you could hope for going in it was Embiid's worst game of the season he just did not look good the entire yeah. the heat I, I tweeted out the one thing where it was like the it's the like one it's just a screen cap from something a guy saying it is happening again and that was the Sixers not being able to figure out the heat's two three zone which they couldn't they just the heat were doubling Embiid and I've pointed out multiple times how he likes to hit that little interior pass they kind of were sitting on that but then they also like Jimmy Butler was usually on the other side like splitting two between the defenders to cover for skip passes and the Sixers could not figure out how to fix that. Their spacing got off sometimes. There was not a lot of cutting to the right spots. They just, they looked really bothered by the Heat's length. It was kind of reminiscent also of like last year's playoff series against the Celtics where Embiid gets double and the Celtics are such, have such smart defenders and defenders with long wingspans that they just could not figure out how to pass through it. Like he kind of needed to do against his own like that. So it was yeah, but- just really bad. <laughs> Dave, Dave always had trouble against that heat zone. Uh, that, that's why uh, Adia Royster on our on our site has uh, coined the zone as for cowards movement. Um, that that was the the heat originally <laughs> started that off. I've, I've seen zone as for cowards coined by a number of draft people. I know PD Webb, probably one of the smartest draft people on the entire internet, has said too. But that's more like they say it's zone as for cowards for like college and high school teams where college and high school coaches are maybe too lazy to teach their teams how to play man defense and it's easier just tell like five-star athletes at duke hey sit in a two three you're longer than everyone else 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, teach them good defense. Just, but no, the Heat are – that is what we call a good zone. Like the Heat are very much in tune to what they do. I think Jackson Frank – our own Jackson Frank at Liberty Butler's pointed out like Jimmy Butler's positioning off ball is just like masterclass stuff. He just is never in the wrong spot. Yeah, I saw there was one play later in the game where Ben tried like a, a skip pass to the corner and Jimmy got like the tip of his finger on it so that he was able to slow it down just enough to kind of recover and get the, the loose ball on the ground. And it was just a perfect illustration of if he was in the wrong spot by about two inches, the pass would have gotten through. But because like he, by the slimmest of margins, he knew exactly where to be, um, even against a, a good passer like Ben, who is generally good at those sort of uh, looks to his teammates. Um, I should say if if we want to just make a a caveat for the the sky is not falling people out there, MB did miss the prior game with an illness, and by all accounts he wasn't a hundred percent going into this game. Mm-hmm. So if you're kind of taking solace out of anything, it's that this was Embiid's only I believe second game this season not scoring in double figures. So maybe that wasn't as much to do with Miami playing great defense and, and, and at least partially due to just him being under the weather and, and not a hundred percent. And we've seen, you know, throughout not only this season, but his Philadelphia career when Embiid isn't in there, the Sixers offense kind of just falls apart because it's so Embiid centric that they don't really have a, a viable, Hey, this is what we're going to go to now when Embiid just dominating people isn't working. So hopefully if uh, the Sixers were to meet Miami in a second round matchup, that wouldn't be as much of an issue because he'd presumably be, be healthy in, in a subsequent meeting. And um, you would hope things would look a lot better. For those people who do want to freak out about last night's game, here are some standings updates. So the, currently the Atlanta Hawks sit in the four seed at 40 and what was it? Oh, no, uh, 40 and 31. Then the Heat and the Knicks are both 39 and 31. The Heat having the edge over the Knicks. They would slide into that five seed right now. Uh, we're recording this Friday morning. Tomorrow on Saturday, the Knicks will take on the Hornets and the Heat will take on the Bucks. And that would probably be the most likely game for the Heat to lose, although the Bucks could definitely. What I'm worried is that the Bucks pretty much locked into three almost, or they could get three or two. But if they lose that game and help ensure the Heat stay in the 4-5, they don't have to see them in the first round. So we could definitely see some shenanigans with the Bucks basically resting people and letting the Heat take that win. And then on the last day of the regular season, the Knicks will play the Celtics, the Heat will play the Pistons, and the Hawks will play the Rockets. You'd assume the Hawks get a win there and basically wrap up the four seed. Then, So really you're hoping – the Knicks go 2-0, and and you need either the Heat or the Pistons to somehow – you need the Bucks, who might be wrestling a lot of guys, or the downtrodden Pistons to upset the Heat so that the Sixers would not have to face them in the second round. Because ideally what we're all hoping for is uh, Sixers versus – Sixers versus not Heat in the second round is what I'd say. Yeah, we want Knicks or Hawks. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Over – over a Miami series. Um, yeah, so, I mean, hopefully the Bucks treat the game tomorrow against Miami with some degree of seriousness 
and uh, maybe they use that as like their playoff tune-up, and then the following night they sit everybody against Chicago in their season finale. Um, I, I guess that's what you have to hope for. Uh, as you mentioned, it might be to their advantage to kind of flip that and use the Heat game to rest and then treat the Chicago game as their final tune-up just because of uh, maybe wanting to avoid Miami in the first round. But, yeah, I, you know, we never see shenanigans in these final games of the regular season. So at least at least we can hang our hat on that, that teams always uh, do the the moral and just thing as this regular season winds down. We, we're hoping for that or that there's like a random Bobby Portis 40-point explosion that just <laughs> knocks off the heat. But, uh, no, like you're saying, like, I don't know if you saw the other day, like um, the Thunder were up 14 on the Kings at half. And if the Thunder had won, they probably would have been knocked out of the top three for the draft odds that they've worked their way into by losing so many games over the last two months. And the Thunder came out and lost the third quarter 18 to 41. Just like marvelous stuff. It, <laughs> you like it is unbelievable to play that well in the first half and then to just completely tank it all in one quarter. Like, I mean, Hinky was definitely he has that like on loop in his office right now where it <laughs> works. Just, Did- did what was what was the was there a, a change made because you know we talk about this all the time like it's the front office slash coaching staff that puts guys in his position not to succeed like players aren't going out there and like not trying because these are guys that are playing for their careers in a lot of cases um but but was it like a a mark madsen go out and shoot as many threes as you want when you shouldn't be kind of situation or did they just put their their five end of bench guys out there like what i think you know? it was basically the same things like the guys who played in the third quarter were the guys who had been playing which were like isaiah roby darius baisley moses brown poku kenrich williams jalen horde gabriel deck tony okay. tony bradley only got four minutes maybe they need to play bradley more um <laughs> so it was more just these guys are generally bad yeah. and inexperienced okay, so anyway <laughs> and the first half was more of a mirage the Kings hit eight of 12 threes, including Terrence Davis and DeLon Wright went five for five combined. So the Kings got hot from three and the Thunder basically, I, it seems like the Thunder basically just been ch- chucking shots in the first half and making them. They kept doing it in the second half and they stopped making them. So a very natural tank of a quarter. Okay. All right. Uh, probably enough Thunder Kings talk for, for us. Yeah, here, but... Exactly. Um, no, but I... It's worrisome what happened to the Sixers last night. You, I mean, I've been making jokes about how great a Heat Bucks first round series is going to be, but then the Heat have won all these games over the last few weeks, kind of surging now, figured some stuff out about their team. I mean, Jim, part of the reason they're in this position right now is that Jimmy Butler and I mean, they've had all the COVID protocols and Jimmy Butler's missed a significant portion of the season. But when he's been out there, he's been one of the better players in the league. I mean, I remember someone pointed out online, it's like, it's amazing that Jimmy Butler at the same time, his shot has gotten worse. His jump shot has gotten statistically worse over the last few years. He's become a better basketball player. It's really, he really might be the only guy in like the NBA to do that. Yeah. Especially a lot of late career stars, they kind of transition to more of a, all right, now I'm just, I'm going to hit a lot. I'm going to refine my outside shot and be like Mm. the spot up, like, like Paul Pierce towards the end of his career. Like it was the epitome of that. Like I'm just going to hit, big shots from the perimeter like that's kind of the value i bring to the team now um and jimmy's going the complete opposite direction uh i i'm glad you bring up his shooting though like we, yeah, we really do we really do have to point out 
that Jimmy had four games total where he hit more than one three on the season prior to last night, including only one game where he hit three threes. So, of course, not only did he hit four threes on the night on only four attempts, so four for four. uh, So that was a new season high for him. But he also hit three of them in the first 10 minutes of the game. So he he tied his season high for a game, which he'd only done once previously in the first 10 minutes against the Sixers. So if you if you cannot make the argument that Jimmy Butler does not like change his game in a given moment based on whatever the heck he wants to do, it's it's a really weird thing. He's one of those guys who it's just he is statistically not a good shooter, but he will still get respect from the defenses because he does enough. He makes just enough of them at crucial moments that make them feel important that everyone just, you'll still buy into it. And I mean, he's never afraid to shoot. He's just, he's really good, man. It, it, I mean, we, we saw that Sixers in the playoffs all those years ago, like Jimmy, like it's kind of weird how he does his thing. He's just really strong and really smart. He has enough of a handle to get where he wants, draws fouls, all that stuff. Like, man, I, I you don't want to see him in the second round. Like I don't, it would be crazy if after all this where we thought it's Sixers, Bucks, Nets, Sixers, Bucks, Nets this whole year, the Heat come out of nowhere and they're back again. Yeah, I I, I mean, we didn't probably talk about it enough, but they, they were obviously the team in the finals last year. And sure, that was a weird year, the bubble, everything that went on. But th- they have the talent um, between Jimmy and Bam. You have two legitimate stars and you have... Th- the cavalcade of long defensive wings and shooters on the outside. Uh, they have some good point guard play depth with, uh, you know, Drogic and Kendrick Nunn, and they just have a lot of guys they can throw at you. Um, so the, with a good head coach like Spolstra, they're able to make adjustments in, in a given matchup and kind of do a lot of different things. It's if, if they're fully healthy and I know they're missing Oladipo, who is out for Oladipo the season now. Oladipo only played four games for them, so yeah, he's like he I, on their team this season. Exactly, yeah. So I, I, I just wanted. I'm saying they're if they're basically fully healthy. I didn't want anyone to be like, oh, well, they don't have Oladipo. Mm-hmm. They're not fully healthy. But yeah, you're exactly. They weren't. He was never really a part of their team per se. Um, but yeah, they're they're definitely a team that you have to worry about, and no one wants to play them. Like whoever is going to get them in the first round that's like a nightmare matchup um and obviously as sixers faithful here we don't want to see them in the second round like the difference between them and a, a heat or hawk series as far as like how worried i would be is like I, there's a huge disparity in that um so yeah it's <laughs> it's it's a, it's weird how much different i feel like from four days ago to now yeah, and then, I mean, I'm not saying it's just, I don't know if, like, the Heat, not the Heat, the Hawks or the Knicks would treat the Heat like it's a nightmare scenario because as teams that have been trying to make the playoffs these last years and haven't been able to, the Knicks and Hawks are probably just worried on get to the playoffs, do as well as we can in the regular season. It We're fine with playing whoever in the first round. And Sure, yeah, I meant more if, like, if the yeah. Heat did fall to – six yeah Milwaukee it, just like su- suddenly the Bucks want no part of that and um yeah you're right like the, the, the Knicks and Hawks are obviously just happy to be getting back to the playoffs but I think the the mindset would shift from hey if like if the Heat 
and Knicks, or I'm sorry, the the Atlanta and New York played each other. They're both thinking like, hey, we can win this. Like, let's yeah. let's be a little be the frisky team that gets to the second round. Like, let's see what we can do. Whereas if they're playing Miami, they're the clear underdog. Maybe not in their own mind, but the general public perception was that all right, this was a nice story. Miami's going to win. Like, that's a completely different uh, narrative for everything surrounding that first round series. And I think that just off the top of my head, I think the Hawks might give the Heat more trouble, like would maybe be more likely to beat them in a series than the Knicks. And I also think it does help both of them because I think we saw the problems with having your offense run through a big like Embiid just against a team like the Heat who was so smart doubling and playing that zone. I know the Heat, like people I follow who cover the Heat, who talk about the Heat, talk about like their the main struggle with their defense is point of attack defense mainly against quick guards which I mean that is Trey Young so maybe Trey gives them some trouble they set a lot of ball screens get their whole offense rolling also you have to think the Hawks have the offensive firepower to keep up with a team like the Heat who can get who after the Heat's offense have been struggling most of the season they've really surged this past month I mean trying to think of a good compare it, they are like the NFL playoff team that you thought was like they were like six and six with four weeks left in the season. Then went on a win streak. Now no one wants to see them in the wild card round. Yeah, like uh, didn't the Giants do that the one year they won the Super Bowl? The Giants that, did that. The, both, the two years the Giants won the Super Bowl, like both don't make sense, but they did. Right. So, yeah, um, not a great turn of events for the Sixers in the last uh, few days. And I'm sure the, the Knicks and Hawks – Fan bases aren't too happy about how things have transpired this week either. Aside from obviously that they're just elated to be going to the playoffs at all. But yeah, one one thing I'm not happy about personally, and I think I don't know if I saw you tweeted to you, but a lot of Sixers fans have voiced this opinion. Um, why did we not see more Paul Reed in these past <laughs> games? Specifically, Anthony Tolliver is not better than Paul Reed. He just isn't. And he was getting way more minutes during the Pacers game. And then the Sixers getting absolutely like shellacked by the Heat still played Dwight Howard for a large portion of the game. We're still running Tolliver and Scott there. It's like, no, once we hit like the four, the four minute mark left in the third quarter, it should have been Paul Reed playing the rest of the time. Cause he is like, Paul Reed gets out there. He's really athletic. Like they had the one put back in transition where he just, he definitely pushes off, but he really wants rebounds. He's really quick. He's got long arms. He can grab it and finish his athleticism does let him get to the rim like on these roles like Paul Reed is legitimately I think good and it's just it's one of those things where it's like why aren't they just giving this guy a shot I think we've pretty much seen that Anthony Tolliver cannot play he's just not going to be in the rotation at all yeah I don't I don't know why there's any scenario where Tolliver sees any minutes uh well the answer the scenario is that Doc Rivers like likes older guys more than younger guys and he just will justify it by supposedly saying that Tolliver is a better shooter (laughs) Yeah, except we haven't seen that at all this season. At least Mike Scott, like I've seen in seasons past. Okay, I know Mike can shoot, but. Yeah, it's, I I don't know if it was like, hey, we should, Paul Reed gives us a better chance to win. Like, that's why he should have seen minutes. It was just like, this game's over. It's been an absolute atrocity to watch. The team looks the team looks dead. There's no energy whatsoever. Just throw him out there for the final 12 minutes, just to give people some sense of joy in watching this basketball game. Like let let him and Maxi run pick and rolls. Like just let the 
let the blue coats guys cook for the full quarter. Like, I, I don't know why it, it had to wait to the last four minutes of the game. Um, the Sixers were down 22 going into the fourth. They weren't coming back. So that, that was all, that was my take on it. I, I didn't, I just didn't understand that really, but uh, yeah, big picture, Anthony Tolliver, if he sees any minutes except after they clinch and they just sit everybody in the final game or something, something's gone very, very wrong. It makes you miss Amir Johnson who knew he wasn't going to play in the playoffs, but he just got to be out there and be fun during the regular season. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I didn't know that we would get a, when you miss Amir Johnson, reference in the pod but Amir like we all knew Amir (laughs) play in anything meaningful but he's just kind of a nice guy to have out there yeah he knew his role for sure um good good locker room guy so definitely definitely Hmm. how big do you of a deal do you think it was that Matisse Thibel did not play these last two games because obviously like he's a bench player and one who does not really contribute on offense so you'd think oh it's really doesn't mean that much but Watching the Sixers, like especially those bench lineups, try to play defense. Like you, you can you notice that Matisse is missing just because there's less exciting things happen. When Matisse gets in, he makes stuff happen, and it really seems to energize them. And that just seemed to be gone last night entirely. And like when the Heat are just killing them with all these, what was it like drop offs to Bam for those little mid range floaters? Jimmy Butler getting into the paint. Goran Dragic getting into the paint, you kind of miss like maybe Matisse would do something about that. You would think he would have to help. Um, Yeah, he doesn't contribute a lot offensively in terms of his own scoring, but all of his disruptive plays on defense, you know, he's, he's out there getting three to four stocks every night. That's just creating transition opportunities for your team. And that's, that's easy points. And for, a Sixers team that doesn't have a great half court offense, particularly on nights like last night when Embiid is not his best self. And then the half court just completely bogs down because so often, so often their, their answer is just let Embiid be great in a, in a one-on-one situation. Um, like those, those transition opportunities that, that Thibel creates as a result of his, uh, his defense, that really helps. Um, it, it probably creates like six to eight points a game just because he, he does things on the defensive end. Um, and then as far as going up against Jimmy, like Thibel's another guy you can throw on him. Like Danny Green did not look up to that matchup at all last night. Danny, like, again, what we said, Danny's best thing, he's a rover off ball. He's got long arms and loves to reach around guys if they get in front of him. He is much better for – I'm trying to think, because Danny also got – wasn't Danny's best two, best defensive showings against the Pacers and the Heat? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, Doug McDermott has absolutely eaten Danny Green alive in all three of the Sixers-Pacers games this year because he is just too big and too fast for Danny. He just leaves him in the dust on all those, like, all those screens like Danny can't get through. I'm trying to think what's the right kind of person for Danny Green to defend. Cause he is a good defender, but you want someone who like, I would definitely say it is someone who relies more on strength because Danny Green is really good at getting his chest into people as they drive rather than quickness. I, I just feel like any guy who has like a lot of burst is just going to leave him in the dust, but someone who's more not as shifty and trying to, 
maybe someone almost a little bit like Danny Green himself, even though there's no one like him specifically on the <laughs> offensive end. I was gonna say you've you've called him the weirdest player in. No, but I'm just saying like. <laughs> so guys, who would be like that? Guys who are very reliant on shooting, and let's say when they do drive, it's not the best drivers. Like maybe like not useless offensive players, but guys who Danny Green is not at a severe physical disadvantage against. We've seen, like I said, Doug McDermott took it to him pretty bad. That one Nuggets Sixers game where they try to put him on Michael Porter Jr. and Porter Jr. just cut to the rim, shot over him, all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it was it was it's not been a great Danny Green defensive stretch. No, um, but back to Jimmy. Do you, like I feel like if it's not going to be Thibel in a playoff series potentially, like is it just going to have to be Ben? Like that's his assignment, or what? What do you think I, is the best way to I mean, tackle that? I think Ben. Yeah, like do you put Matisse on maybe someone like Duncan Robinson to try and run with him the whole time? and maybe get those blocks. Although then you're also living with the fact that Matisse does gamble on his screens and you can give Duncan a look, which is like the last thing you ever want to do. Yeah. Right. It is, it is weird. I, you could definitely like switch on and off Matisse and Ben. I also think Tobias might not be out of his depth, like trying to check Jimmy just because, I mean, the, the it's like the whole thing of Jimmy. It's like, in theory, you want to let him take the jump shot, but it also doesn't feel like that when it feels like he makes all the most important ones at the biggest moments. Yeah. But if Tobias backs up, he does have Tobias does have the strength to not get just worn down by Jimmy. That's what we've always said all season is Tobias is like biggest. It's like the most underrated thing about Tobias is that he's super strong. He is just a very physical dude who can move people out of the way. And that really helps. But yeah, like that's, no, that's a good point. And um, I'm looking at the matchup data from last night. So Tobias was actually the guy who guarded Jimmy the most of anyone on the Sixers and Jimmy was only one for three and didn't get to the foul line while Tobias was guarding him per the, and, and the, you know, the NBA.com stats data isn't perfect, but yeah, it's, it's, so at least Tobias wasn't, it wasn't like he was cooked at all. He, he probably did a, a decent enough job. So yeah, maybe that is the answer to just put Jimmy on him because he has the strength to where Jimmy can't really uh, body him and kind of create space that way. And yeah, he's he's taller, so he can contest anything Jimmy wants to shoot reasonably well. I also worry with one one thing I kind of worry with is something Embiid obviously is a great defender, but I feel like these centers who just get off the ground really quickly are like really quick jumpers. They can give him some problems just because Embiid is a like it's why Embiid's never been a huge lob dunk guy, is that he's Embiid he's a big guy. He takes a little bit, a little bit of time to load up and get off the ground. So if you are not that quick of a riser off the floor, you kind of just, these guys, you get off the ground quicker than you can do some stuff. And bam, like you saw in all those little midi floaters he took, like he just gets off very quickly. He can elevate for those dunks as soon as he gets a little like splotch of space. So that, I feel like that could give the Sixers some problems. Like initially another guy, who they could see in the second round, John Collins has given Embiid problems for at least scoring wise. Now the difference there is that whereas Bam, and obviously it wasn't Bam just guarding Embiid, it was the Heat's double teams, but Bam's an incredible defender who can help like slow down Embiid. John Collins cannot guard Embiid if he could hand check him with a taser. So like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about a John Collins man. But yeah, that's like, it's like, yeah, sure. John Collins will get some buckets on Embiid. Embiid will plow through him. Like the Hawks only chance against Embiid is because they're not the same kind of, 
smart double team heavy they don't have the same smart double team heavy schematics that the Heat do. They they basically their answer is Clint Capella don't get in foul trouble because he is a very good defender, but that's about it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, Embiid will probably draw a couple of fouls and then that'll it'll just go from there. It'll kind yeah. of snowball for the Hawks. Um, that obviously a big reason where we wouldn't be too worried about a Hawks matchup, um, despite somebody like Trey who has given Sixers problems before. We just just one of those teams that don't have an answer for Embiid. And that's most of the teams in the league, obviously, because he's an MVP caliber player. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Miami, we've kind of said all year that they're one of the few teams that, yeah, you're not going to stop Embiid completely, but Bam, like you just mentioned, is a a great defender. And he's one of the guys where I feel like you could at least have him on Joel and maybe stay at home if you need to, because he's good enough to do that. And then they're also smart enough to uh, throw all those double teams and make the proper rotations and everything else that you need to do when you're scrambling like that. So you're able to throw different looks at him to kind of confuse them and keep them guessing. So it's just a, it's a tough matchup because they're a a disciplined team with a lot of different options. And (laughs) <laughs> the fact that we're, we're kind of looking at that as a potential second round matchup is uh, it's a little discouraging. You know, like, like we said earlier, I thought this was going to be a, the coronation pod for the Sixers getting the one seed, which they still can do as long as they beat the magic either tonight or on Sunday, which. Yeah. And they're hope, four, they're 14 point favorites tonight. So you would hope given the state <laughs> of the Orlando magic, that this should be a rather easy win for the Sixers. Um, but yeah, it's not so much that they didn't clinch last night. It's that, hey, this is a team that you're probably playing in the second round now, and you just looked awful. So yeah. that's that's why this is concerning more than like, oh, we have to wait one more night for them to clinch the one seed. Yeah, that's definitely that's a hundred percent true. Um, but yeah, like we went from we went from the scene in the office. I thought it was gonna be the scene in the office where. Michael finds out that Holly doesn't have an engagement ring on her finger and him and Aaron just start playing the song and like dancing in his room, but breaking up the champagne bottles. Instead, we're like the scene in the office where Dwight starts the fire and it's like, (laughs) everybody calm down. (laughs) That is where we're at right now as a fan base. Yeah. Or it could also be Kevin's filling the chili (laughs) or, or Michael just screaming no. That, yeah, that, that, that gif <laughs> it is all very like we, we are at threat level right? yes um and jimmy butler is gold uh what, what is gold, gold golden face golden yeah face. that's jimmy butler, jimmy butler is golden face. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so some positive things i want to talk about because i think we've discussed enough about how that game went about as bad as it could have for the sixers and it's very much a worry um not a lot to discuss with the upcoming games of the Magic. The Magic are not good right now. They're very young. The Sixers should beat them pretty handily. Uh... Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. 
It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. One thing I wanted to talk about was we mentioned Matisse being out and the, you know, all the award selections are going around. So a lot of analysts, writers, reporters putting out their selections, their justifications, seen plenty of Matisse Thibel like on second team, all, all defense lists. Some t- people don't have him on. And I wanted to look through, cause it was like something that had, since it was popping up so much, you know, I know Kevin O'Connor for the ringer made his video on Matisse Harrison Grimm for Liberty Ballers wrote a great piece on Matisse Thibel's defense yesterday. So it just came to my mind, how many first or second year players have ever gotten an all defense selection? So I searched it on Stathead. And do you want me to read the list of some of these guys? Yeah, go for it. So like, first we're going to go through the bigs because obviously it's what a lot of people talk about. Centers are inherently like the most important part of your defense. It's why so many of them have one defensive player of the year. Why a guy like Rudy Gobert has won twice and might win again this year. Here are like these guys. So David Robinson made it in both his rookie and sophomore seasons, as did Tim Duncan. And having those two guys together, it kind of makes sense why the Spurs won the title as early as they did. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon in 1985. Joel Embiid in the second year. I forgot was second team all defense already. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made all defense his first two years. Jamal Wilkes in 1976 and Manute Ball in 1986. So yeah, those are like all of your bigs. And again, that makes sense. Like Hakeem, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, all up there for like one of the, some of the greatest defenders ever. We know how good Embiid is, all that kind of stuff. As far as non-bigs go, there, there have definitely been a lot more in eras past than there have been recently. You have guys like Alvin Robertson, Norm Van Leer, Walt Frazier, Michael Ray Richardson, a guy who took down the Sixers in the 1983 playoffs, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, Phil Smith, Latrell Sprewell, Eddie Johnson, but not that Eddie Johnson. This is Eddie Johnson, 1979. Dudley Bradley, who I did not know was nicknamed the Secretary of Defense, but that, according to basketball reference, he was. All right. <laughs> Jim Price, Quinn Buckner, all these guys. But then here are the three most recent non so these are non-center defenders who made first or second team all defense within their first two years in the NBA. Dwayne Wade in 2005, which, I mean, we know what Dwayne Wade's reputation is. It's one of the greatest shot blocking guards ever. So that this makes- must have been before he started complaining to the refs <laughs> and not getting back on defense five times a game. Yeah. So before that, um, here's an interesting one. Pat Beverly in 2014 now to be fair pat bev was 25 so and i mean matisse is an older guy being spent having spent four years in college but pat bev i remember went undrafted like out of arkansas and then he went to europe for a little bit before coming back yeah so, matisse is 24 so you know yeah, not, fair. not only a year younger than beverly <laughs> being 25 then but then here's the most intriguing one Dejounte murray was only in his second year in the NBA in 2018 when he made all second team all defense. And 
DeJounte is obviously a very good defender. He had that one year in 2019 where he missed it all for torn ACL. But, I mean, like DeJounte's up for all defense again this year because he's just a really great defender, long arms, gets a ton of steals, stays in front of guys. But I wanted to point out in that that DeJounte Murray only played 21 minutes per game in that season. He got second team all defense. Matisse is playing 20 minutes per game. So anyone who's using the precedent, like I understand the argument that, oh, he hasn't played enough, but it's like, no, there is a precedent for guys this young and especially a guy like DeJounte Murray not playing that much who you just gave that recognition to. And I think DeJounte is great. I think Matisse is a better defender than him. Matisse is insane. And no one, no one impacts the game as much in 20 minutes on defense as Matisse does. Yeah, that would, um, that's a great pull by you. I think that's a, that's the right template for Matisse making it. Uh, and the Spurs, I just pulled up the, the standings that year. It wasn't like the Spurs were one of the best teams in the league. They were, they finished seventh in the yeah, West that year. Yeah. They were like winding down. It was, yeah, that, was year, that was the year Kawhi missed all those games. He only played nine games that season. Right. So, so I'm saying it's not like the Spurs were so good that people felt they had to like recognize guys on the roster to like attribute the success towards it. Um, they could easily have been like, oh, this is a, a second year guy on a team that finished seventh in the conference. Like, we don't really need to go out of our way to to heap accolades on this, on this player slash team. Whereas the Sixers are, you know, for all intents and purposes, going to finish first in the East this year. Um, and it's like, yeah, Joel's a first team all NBA guy and Ben's a potential defense player of the year guy. Like, what other components go into this team being the best in the, in, in your conference this year. And, and obviously Matisse plays a big part in that. So I think that that helps the the recognition for him in, in this awards pursuit. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be a second team guy. I think you could potentially, you know, if he played five more minutes a game, he'd probably be a first team guy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that that's that's good to know. I didn't I didn't do the research on that, but yeah, Murray playing twenty five minutes or twenty one minutes a game. Uh, so yeah, you can't really say that twenty minutes a game is like some disqualifying thing. Mm-hmm. I even it was funny too because I put that in this one Hoops group chat I'm in the other other day, like how that stat and then uh, Nikias Duncan from Basketball News gladly pointed out too that in his opinion josh richardson should have gotten second team all defense over Dejounte that year so even <laughs> add on top of that but uh like uh one one argument i've heard against like the matisse being second team is that ben simmons is going to get first team all defense we know that and then matisse is pro- and Embiid could both get second team all defense is what it seems most likely and some Lakers and Knicks fans have some opposition to that because the Sixers have the third best defense per cleaning the glass in the NBA, allowing 108.2 points per 100. The Lakers are second, allowing 108.1. Knicks are fourth, allowing 108.4. They're all very good. But whereas, and then the first is the Utah Jazz, who, I mean, if you want to know why, they, like Utah doesn't have as much complaints because they very much know their whole defense is Rudy Gobert being awesome at what he does. So, they that's like the explanation for their defense but then there's some Lakers and Knicks fans who feel like it's not just that the Sixers could end up with three of the 10 all defense selections and the Lakers and Knicks end up with none of them despite their defenses both being very good and I've I've heard then people counter that with 
like the Lakers and Knicks, it, it speaks to how good they are as a total team and how good their how good their systems are of defense that they put this together despite maybe not having as talented of individual defenders as the Sixers do. Now, and obviously like LeBron and AD both would have had good arguments for all defense had they played enough games. They were just both they just both weren't healthy for most of the season, which does matter. And then a team like the Knicks, it feels like the I mean, one guy for the Knicks who should get all defense consideration is our old friend Nerlens Noel. Nerlens has just been blocking everything this year, and it's really great to see. So he gets some consideration, likely for the Lakers. I feel like the Lakers have some third and fourth all team all defense guys. That makes sense. Like I think Wes Matthews, when he's played, especially last year's last few weeks, has been really good on defense. And you get a guy like Kyle Kuzma too, who's been really better on defense this year. A lot of guys like that who are very very good defenders and they don't have any huge weaknesses but not all defense level guys like Matisse or Embiid yeah it's it's interesting how you kind of have to parse individual contributions versus team success defensively Uh, yeah it's pretty clear that like AD would be a a all defense type guy but he's missed a a large chunk of the season Um, I'm gonna quickly pull up exactly how many games he's played it's not very many. It's 34. So, yeah, you can't put him on a an awards team having played less than half the season. Um, but, yeah, any game he's in there, that he's obviously making a huge impact, and the Lakers are a, a, an incredible defensive team when they have all their guys. Um, the Knicks, I, I think you got to kind of, like, look at it and say, like, this is Tibbs' system. It's what he does. He, he's done it at every stop. Like, well, also that and the Knicks have gotten incredible have gotten maybe somewhat lucky in that what is it I mean they've hit some of the regression but basically teams are shooting worse on threes and especially on open threes than like is humanly possible against the Knicks a lot of teams have missed threes against the Knicks when there's like most research shows there's not a lot you can do about whether your opponent makes or misses threes so a little bit of that's baked into it too yeah, so you can you can use that as part of your argument for sure. But uh, yeah, just if Tibbs goes from team to team and wherever he goes, they have a, a markedly better defensive rating than they did before he got there. Like that's a pretty clear through line that it's more the system than anything that uh, individual players are doing as much. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's not that to discount their effort or, or what they they're doing individually. It's just, I don't think any one guy is as impactful in the Knicks as Matisse Stiebel has been this year. Like you can just pull up the highlight reels and he's, he's doing things that we haven't really seen before with the frequency that he does them. I mean, he's kind of perfected the art of the blocked jump shot from behind. He, he teleports across the court in a way that other guys don't really do. Um, like I'm, I'm not going to say I've watched a lot of Knicks basketball this year, but if, in my experience, it's just more of a grinded out type thing with them. And yeah, that's to their credit. They're, they're playing really hard and hustling defensively and making the right rotations. But I, I just don't th- see how any, any one guy could rise above the, the individual acumen that Matisse has shown this season. Mm-hmm. And there was even like, I mean, this speaks to how hard it is to judge defense in basketball already, because there was a great article on the ringer by Zach Cram with all this reporting from basically 
analytics experts around the league, how whereas a lot of the models capture a good portion of what offense is really about in basketball, they all admit, like, we don't have a great way to quantify defense. It's just really hard to do it because you can only count certain things, but there's also things that part of what, like, defense is not making a mistake or not avoiding the bad plays, and it's very hard to quantify stuff like that. It's much easier to see someone like Matisse just freak opponents out with how he can block their jump shots and stuff like that. So it's just a very hard – defense is a hard thing to measure. We don't have a great way to measure defense yet, unfortunately. And it's Right, yeah. You, you have tracking data, and then – but the tracking data could look great for you just because you stay on your guy, like glued to him, and he doesn't it's, score. But that's maybe not what your defense needs you to do. They need you to play off a little bit and help cut off passing lanes and help cut off drivers and help situations. Like there's so much nuance to defense and within different defensive systems that there's no way to know exactly where a guy is supposed to be on a given play unless you know like where his coach wants him to be and like know exactly what's happening with the all five opponents and what would be the optimal place for him to be positioned in uh, corresponding to where all of his opponents are and who that personnel is. Like he could be playing off a guy, but that's because he knows that that guy isn't a good shooter. So you're fine leaving him alone. But if he's in a same spot against like a, like a Curry brother, then you're like, why are you standing there? That's the worst defense you could be playing. Like, yeah, there's so much like gray area and room for interpretation with everything. Like it's just a really hard thing to, to judge. Like, yeah, before his injury, Jamal Murray had that one week where he was in the top five of the defensive player of the year letter, which cited that opponents were just shooting terribly against him. It's like, yeah, that's more like just shooting luck than anything else. It's it's weird. Defense is not a – it's very hard to understand what defense ultimately is, especially about – like, a good point in this, too, is that NBA players are freaking incredible at what they do. So sometimes guys play perfect defense and a guy hits a really tough jump shot, like – I don't think we can underestimate how incredible it is that all these tough mid-range shots that you see go in in the NBA game, like that us normal humans, like those are almost always misses in our games. And they can just make them regularly. Like someone tried to clown Rudy Gobert on Twitter the other day, posting a bucket Carmelo got over him and Rudy pulled <laughs> a shot with a jump, his toes like on over the three-point line with his hand in his face and Carmelo just made it. It like happens. There's literally <laughs> nothing you can do better than that. Also, Carmelo is one of, like, the all-time career scorers in NBA history. Like, that's not the worst guy to have score on you. (laughs) It's it's just like the whole point. It's like, I mean, it's it's very cliche, but the whole phrase, good offense beats, like, good defense gets beat. It's something I can't remember off the top of my head, but, like. Good offense beats good defense. Or good offense, good defense, better offense, stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's true. Offense ultimately dictates a little bit more of what happens because they have the ball in their hands until you take it away, which is part of Matisse's value is that I I remember Cody Hudak for premium hoops has pointed out just how important steals can be because in theory, then the other team ends that possession with a true shooting percentage of zero, which over time does really help to just completely take, you take all variability out of it. As soon as you get that steal, the ball is now yours. Yeah. I just looked it up. Carmelo is 10th on the all-time career scoring list. So just just funny that a guy would try to clown someone like, oh, you got scored on by the 
the guy that's 10th on the all-time scorer yeah. scoring list. Like Carmelo's done that to plenty of people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we've all started this long-winded conversation saying make sure you put Matisse Thibel on second team all defense NBA all, all you listeners that have an yeah. official ballot you all know you're listening out there it's you got to make sure Matisse gets on there um yeah all right Sean I think I'm gonna close it out here I've got a non-basketball question for you as is newly tradition here here's my question I guess it's like tangentially basketball related but it's not about something that happens on the court it's about normal people like us is there an age limit to wearing backwards hats and jerseys, especially in public? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Explain <laughs> this to me because I have so many NBA hats and so many jerseys. It's like the only thing I do not shop for stuff. I do not, I don't play video games really. So I'm not going out buying stuff like that. I've never been a huge sneakers guy. Uh, like this is what I end up spending my money on is like NBA gear of some sort, especially a lot of hats. And I need to know at what point are these just like, <laughs> Are these just like memorabilia I have sitting around and stuff I might want to sell? Right. Um, so fun, funnily enough, uh, one place you'll be able to still wear that kind of thing for a while is going to concerts. <laughs> <laughs> you just pulled that right out from the start. Um, yeah. So like tailgate situations is it's one of the few environments where that type of dress will still be considered socially acceptable as you progress, you know, throughout your twenties. Um, I'd say, I'd say late twenties, early thirties is when you really have to take a hard look about, about that, that kind of thing. Um, does, does it matter how you look like, is it like saying like, if you're really in shape, does it help? <laughs> it definitely helps. Yes. Okay. Um, I still think I, I think the situation is is more crucial than anything. Um, it has to it has to be like an outdoor thing. It has to be like a tailgate or a barbecue or yeah, something. So what about like a basketball game? Like, what if I go to a Sixers game when I'm thirty? I, th- I I don't I don't think you can you can wear the jersey when you're thirty. Really? Just just like, personally, uh, in let yeah. I feel like it's, it's tough. It's it's tough for me to say you can. I don't know. I, 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 obviously, I'm not the, I'm not the fashion police. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a great fashion sense as it is. Uh, it's just, I th- here, here, here's a good rule of thumb. I think, if you're, if you're older than the majority of the players that you're watching perform, then you shouldn't be wearing a jersey. Even at, and, and obviously, a lot of times it's like a throwback jersey or whatever. But I think you have to be younger than the guys that are playing on average to Wait. to to be dressing like you would be playing is this like i have a theory of this too because i get what you're saying so what if it's like an inequality where like there's a certain age range you can't do it from but once you hit a certain age then you can go back to it because i feel like there's something endearing about like much older fans wearing jerseys at games <laughs> like you know well, yeah, that that's just like you you reach an age in general in life like where, fun, where you, you can you can basically do whatever you want because yes, like is it like an age range of let's say like thirty five to sixty, like you can't wear yeah. a jersey then, but then once you're over that, it's like oh you're just an old guy having fun. Right, it's kind of like the hey they're just trying to recapture some spark of their youth, like so let them the, have it. It's it's all in good fun. But if so you're if you're the- if you're it's a serious mid- adult, it's all about that midlife crisis. You can't like add on to it with like. No, that's like you're trying too hard, for sure. 
Yeah, but okay, so that's, I think that's, that's a good. I think I think I, I I stumbled across the good rule of thumb. Like if you're, you have to be younger than the guys actually performing, to um or or to dress enough. like you to dress like you're performing or or or, or so old that no one would care because you reached the point in life where people are just like happy you're still out there having fun. Younger than them that they're not your pe- younger than them that you're not your their peers and old enough that you could be their parent. Two rules. Or grand or grandparent, maybe. Yeah, the grandparent or grandparent. But I would say grandparent, if, yeah. If you're like if you're just barely older than them or they're same pretty much the same age as the older guys in the court, it does seem a little bit weird as yeah. a way. Yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna say about that. All right, this is all good to know. Uh, man, the con I was so I can't believe you brought the concert thing right away. <laughs> I, I, like that's when you can do it. Like what about, you could, what about you like, get- the beach? The beach beach is cool yeah because you the beach you need like you need just something to throw on Mm -hmm. um that you're not gonna wear a nice shirt to the beach because you don't want to get it sandy or whatever um yeah jerseys are are great for the beach like outdoor things if you're going to a tailgate you're going to the beach you're going to maybe a casual barbecue those are the type of things where you can still do it i i would say also, one thing of note, I am very much against like playing pickup basketball in a jersey. Like, I just I don't think that's the move. I much prefer like I like having sleeveless shirts for pickup because I I I joke like LeBron that one year I don't like having the sleeves tug on my arms. But I I then it's like it's like a tank top or a workout shirt that's specifically sleeveless, not an actual like NBA jersey for a pickup game. I I don't, I don't think that's the move. No, I, yeah, I, I never liked playing in jerseys. I felt they were like, like actual jerseys were too heavy, mm-hmm. like the lettering and everything. Yeah, that's the thing. They, and they're, they feel a little bit weird because the way they make them. And also mainly just like, I paid a lot of money for this. I don't want to mess it up because I know like when I play basketball, I'd like, it's like a physical game. Like you go in for rebounds, you might get that thing cut up. Like I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always, I like, uh, like a, yeah, sleeve not not a, not really a tank, but like sleeveless sleeveless just cloth cloth t- cotton t shirts is usually mm-hmm. that's like my go to for pickup. Those are fine, like and just regular t shirts are fine for playing pickup. Um, lawn sleeves, I think it's okay to do lawn sleeves, but it has to be the right. You have to do it, like there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. It's very subjective. Um, I don't know if you remember the guy from Xavier a few years ago, JP Makira, who used to wear. He would have all the white like tights underneath and the white lawn sleeve shirt that went all the way to his wrist. So I had one friend describe it to me as like it looks like he's wearing a bodysuit, <laughs> which is not the is not very much like not appreciated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ultimately, you're playing pickup. It's whatever makes you the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Just as you you don't want your your shooting motion restricted at all oh yeah that's okay one more thing i i'm very much anti-shooting sleeve because they do not help at all they're yeah i never tried it if you like you should not be wearing it on your shooting arm and if you are wearing it on your non-shooting arm you very much if you're wearing a shooting sleeve you should admit like this is purely just so i I, because i think it looks cool it is not helping my shot in any way because people who pretend like that helps it does not help yeah um i i played before shooting sleeves were really a thing that like everyone it, it wasn't normal like you couldn't just get, 
you very rarely saw them like Iverson were one. So people like knew what it was because Iverson were one, but it wasn't like anyone ever thought to actually do it themselves. Um, So yeah, I've never actually tried playing in one. Uh, I don't think I would like it because I generally didn't like sleeves. Yeah. Um, It's just like, I, I want my arms to be free. These are the most important things I have in this game are being able to move my arms. And I don't want anything that restricts that in any way. Yeah. All right, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my my thoughts on it. Obviously, that's just one man's opinion. I, I'm not the the authority on this by any means, but no, Sean is officially <laughs> pickup wear and uh, age limit for the age the un what was it the age range during which backwards hats and jerseys are not okay. So like backwards hats, does that apply to to those people? Or backwards back- hats, you're you're just going to reach an age where you realize that the 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 brim has to go forward. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. You just wake up one day like, ah, today's the day. You just look in the mirror and you're like, I'm trying way too hard with this backwards gap. And you, you suddenly, your caps turn forward. That's, that's just life, man. I don't don't know what to tell you beyond that. (laughs) Well, I will, I will not look forward to that day, but be aware of that day when it comes. Yes. Just, just, just realize it's something everyone goes through. So you you, you don't feel too bad about it when it comes. Um, All right, so my, my question for you is kind of similar because it involved uh, uh, like clothing in some sense. Uh, I, I know you're a big you know, merchandise guy like that. I was going to ask you, what is your favorite item you had growing up that like you got it for Christmas one year and you're like, oh, I can't believe that I got this. And it was like your treasured possession or what did like I always wore the, the Iverson questions like mm-hmm. every every time a new edition came out of those i i always got them like was there something like that for you like you always looked forward to the next the next one coming out and you always had the the new one of that item or so just anything in that uh that arena for you okay so like i said i was never a big sneaker guy so nothing like that um i would say that and i, I didn't really get into all the hats and jerseys as much until i was in high school so I'm trying to think although i did when i was little the jersey I had for the Sixers was an Elton Brand jersey, so I would wear that around a lot. I like that one. Um, that was pretty much it. Like, of the ones I've gotten the past few years, like, um, I mean, back when Curry was like having his insane 2016 season, which is one of the most fun I've had watching a basketball player ever, really maybe like basketball even more just watching the year I got a Warriors hat and I kind of really like that one just reminds me of like it reminds me of watching that Warriors Thunder game the famous one with Curry's game winner where it's just like I was like this is unbelievable to watch this guy play basketball like he does so that one always meant a lot to me um uh, I've got an Eagles hat that my little brother got me for Christmas one year I think the year after they won the Super Bowl so that always meant a lot to me uh yeah, I think those are all pretty much the ones I can remember specifically is like, I don't know, I like them. And then, like, I just have other stuff that's basically, I've just got, I just want something more probably that's I've gotten into the last five years. So when I was really young, I can't say that I was just like, oh, when's the next so-and-so thing coming out? Like, yeah, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, and I at a part B for this question, uh, was there any like Jersey you got where, and this happens to everybody like the the guy immediately like got traded or he was such a bust that people it, it would have been like embarrassing to wear the jersey after his rookie year or, or anything like that 
So I was a little worried that when they were throwing out all the trade rumors, Matisse, Thibel, and Tyrese Maxey, because I did get jerseys for both of them. So that was a little worrisome. Like, so no, I, no wonder you're trying to push for him all defense. You're, you're just trying yeah, to get your, your jersey to have more clout. You know, it was good for the first few years, but I did get a Carson Wentz jersey for Christmas after his rookie season. And, you know, for years I was fine with that. It was my Eagles jersey. Yeah, you had a good run. You had a good run with it. Though. Yeah, but then this past year, like, I can't look at that jersey anymore. Yeah, like, I mean, that happened. It was horrifying. It was yeah. horrifying. <laughs> so that one is probably one where it's like, eh, don't have right. a use for this anymore. Gotcha. So that's Yeah, that's, that's, that's how I felt about uh, I had a T.O. Eagles jersey. Ooh. And like when I had it, it was dope. And like he obviously killed it when he was with the Eagles. But yeah, the the way that relationship soured, it it just like sat in a drawer for years. And I'm like, I, I don't even, I, I had no idea what to do with it. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really even like touch it. Really. Well, um, fortunately, I did not go give in and buy an Al Horford jersey because that would be <laughs> also like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that would be a similar <laughs> similar situation. Um, my my all time bust jersey was a uh, I got a Chris T Jones jersey he was he was a wide receiver for the eagles and wow. uh he just he just never he, he was just awful from like day one he never panned out and um it, it was just one of those like wow like really got a chris t jones jersey great <laughs> that's a shout out to like the seven people who bought a jj ortega white side jersey. yes that, like, that's it's not, that's not, a, it's not happening guys it's not yeah, happening that's the direct comparison there for sure oh man All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, We will be back next week, likely previewing a one versus eight matchup in the playoffs for the 76ers and kind of sort of definitely worrying about the second round matchup potentially if it is the Miami Heat in that four or five slot. But for now, we will just try and keep the good vibes going. The Sixers are still likely to clinch the one seed tonight against the Magic. And Sean, I will talk to you next week. Uh, yeah, Daniel, I uh, hope th- our, our next week's podcast will have to be more optimistic. This was really a down, down episode. Unless there's, so. like an, unless there's an injury and then, which in yeah. that case, like, I mean, we're canceled, but. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so t- tune in next week for a more optimistic pod, everybody, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.